Welcome to episode 33 of Wild Utah, the podcast of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. I'm Dave Pacheco. To put it bluntly, America's oil and gas leasing, drilling, and cleanup program is a mess, needing serious reform, time, and money to fix. During the 2020 presidential election, Joe Biden made some encouraging statements and promises to address the climate crisis, and in particular, Mr. Biden promised to wind down oil and gas leasing and drilling on public lands in the U.S. So where do things stand one year later? To answer that question and explore the administration's ongoing efforts to reform this broken program, we are joined by SUA staff attorney Landon Newell. Landon, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Dave. So bring us up to speed. In particular, explain for us what the Biden administration has done so far to address the oil and gas problems on America's public lands. Happy to, Dave. The climate crisis is being driven in large part by fossil fuel development on public lands. The federal government has recognized that nearly a quarter of all U.S. carbon emissions come from fossil fuels extracted on public lands. And so to respond to this climate crisis, from day one, the Biden administration has taken actions to wind down oil and gas leasing and development on public lands. As part of that process, the Interior Department has recognized that the leasing program is broken and needs to be fixed and updated. And that includes, among other things, Dave, the need to address abandoned wells on public lands, the need to resolve speculative oil and gas leasing, non-competitive leasing, and a whole host of other issues. So what happened in Biden's first 100 days in office? Didn't he take action on this or at least try to? That's right. A week after taking office, Biden issued an executive order directing a pause on new oil and gas leasing. And so that pause impacted the Department of the Interior, which includes the Bureau of Land Management. And it also at the same time directed that the Interior Department engage in a comprehensive review of the oil and gas program with an eye towards fixing many of the problems with that program, as well as addressing the climate crisis. So that, uh, of course, had accompanying lawsuits, right? The oil and gas industry didn't take that sitting down, right? That's right, Dave. The lawsuits came quickly after the executive order was issued, and that includes lawsuits from states like Utah and industry interests. And in this summer, a judge agreed with the challengers and enjoined the Biden executive order. However, the judge recognized that the Interior Department and the Bureau of Land Management still retain broad discretion to lease or not to lease on public lands and left the agency with broad discretion to take steps to wind down this broken program. So they are moving forward with new leasing then, even though there has been a conflict at to what degree they're going to do it. The administration is still moving forward, right? That's right. The court order directed the agency to resume a leasing process. It did not order that the agency issue any particular lease. The Biden administration is moving forward with new leasing proposals, including in Utah. And at the same time, the agency in charge of leasing, the Bureau of Land Management, has recognized that the program is broken. And so there's this tension that's been created 
which is that the courts have recognized that the agency needs to at least move forward with a leasing process. It doesn't have to necessarily issue any particular lease, but it has to go through a process. And on the other hand, you have the agency recognizing that this entire leasing program is broken and needs to be fixed. And that's a tension that we see playing out day to day, as well as with a recent court decision that I that we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, let's go there. A couple of weeks ago now, uh, a federal judge in Washington, D.C. ruled that the Interior Department failed to consider the climate effects of selling oil and gas leases for exploration and development, in particular, in this case, in the Gulf of Mexico. The judge literally threw out the leases and ordered the agency to conduct a new environmental analysis. On the surface, this seems like a huge victory. Tell us about what the implication of this decision that now they have to consider climate impacts will be on the public lands nationally and even here in Utah. It's a huge victory, Dave. The case, while applying to offshore leasing, has significant impacts across the country. In particular, what it said is that the agency cannot proceed with new leasing without analyzing and disclosing the climate change impacts of its leasing decisions. That's quite significant because that that ties into the leasing reforms that we see playing out right now, which are driven in large part by the Biden administration's goal of addressing the climate crisis. And so this decision adds additional support to winding down the program because it's a program that contributes significant amounts of greenhouse gas to the environment and which is driving our climate crisis. Well, that does seem like a a pretty major step that needed to be taken. So yeah, let's get back to what you were saying before about the tension that naturally exists here with what Biden's trying to do in light of this court decision. So in his first year, the Biden administration approved 34% more oil drilling permits than the Trump administration did. What's going on with that? Well, Dave, What that evidence is, is that the program is broken. And this is why SUA and other conservation groups fight so hard to stop leasing in the first place. Because oil and gas development proceeds through several steps, one of which is that the agency has to issue leases. And the significance with issuing leases is that it opens the door to oil and gas development. Once a lease has been issued, it is very hard to pull that lease back or to outright prohibit development of the lease. And so what you see playing out is that the past four years of the Trump administration resulted in hundreds of new leases across Utah and thousands of new leases across the West. And once those leases were issued, it is now much harder to limit the development on those leases. That is one underlying reason for why the Biden administration is taking the needed step to wind down this program. It's a program that has many flaws. Chief among all is the leasing program, which is subject to abuse, and it's riddled with flaws. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't you bring us up to date on the status of oil and gas leasing and drilling here in Utah. Is the administration continuing to sell leases in Utah in particular? Is the BLM approving these applications for permits to drill uh, here in Utah and, and where? And is that still more of a 
uh, concern out in the Uinta Basin than anywhere else? Yeah, so the Biden administration is continuing forward with a leasing proposal for Utah. The current proposal includes a number of leases scattered throughout the state, some in the Uinta Basin and some outside the Uinta Basin, and it is nearing completion of that process. So expects that there, there will be a final decision with regard to those leases within the next couple of weeks. And as to the development of leases, the majority of the development that we see going on right now is in the Uinta Basin. Almost all of it is in the Uinta Basin. And the development has not gained much traction over the past few years outside of the basin. It's not a very economical area to drill. And with the low price of oil and gas over the past four or five years, drilling has really come to a halt in many of the areas outside of the Uinta Basin. So just to summarize the process a little bit so that uh, our listening audience is really clear about what happens here. So we're talking about a two-step process, right? So first comes leasing, where the lease is awarded to a certain high bidder. And then some years later, that company may choose, they don't have to, but they may choose to actually develop or drill that area. And at that time, they submit an application for permit to drill to the Bureau of Land Management. And that's when they conduct the environmental analysis only later, right? Well, that's partially correct. There's a leasing process, which includes environmental analysis in most instances. And that's that's another problem with the program. But in most instances, there's an environmental analysis that goes along with leasing. But that really is kind of limited in scope and doesn't take into account, for example, the impacts of, of drilling. And so then once a lease is issued, it's essentially a process that we often describe as lease first, think later, meaning that the agency does minimal analysis up front, but then commits itself to development. And then once you get to the development phase, the agency oftentimes says, well, we already analyzed that issue at the leasing stage. And so we're, our analysis now at the drilling stage is similarly going to be limited in scope. And that's a huge problem because, as you alluded to before, the pace of development is quite high at the moment. And all of that development has significant carbon emissions, emissions that are worsening the ongoing climate crisis. Yeah, I think I've heard of that process before described as an irretrievable commitment of resources that the agency invests just enough on the front end to justify it moving forward on the back end when they go to approve the permit, right? Yeah, it's sort of a, a shell game where the agency claims at the leasing phase that it doesn't have the information or the data or the like to fully analyze the impacts of its leasing decision. But then once it gets past the leasing phase and gets to the development phase, the agency will then turn around and say, well, actually, all of that was taken care of at the leasing phase and our hands are tied now that we've issued a lease and proceed with development. And it's, and it's something that the administration is aware of. And it's one of the issues that they're trying to address in their ongoing oil and gas leasing review. Well, thanks for clarifying that for us, Landon. Uh, that's a very frustrating process. I want you to go back, though, and 
you touched on one earlier, another kind of aspect of this oil and gas reform uh, that many people might not be in, aware of. And you mentioned the, the problem of abandoned or orphaned well cleanup, like the funding and reform that's needed to actually clean up sites that the companies who do this drilling and production have just walked away from. That's right. That's a huge problem nationally, as well as here in Utah. And so to give some context to what this problem is, is it ties several of the broken pieces of the oil and gas program together. So to begin with, you have leasing, which is done at a very low price. You can get an oil and gas lease for as little as $1.50 an acre. So that's one problem. And then what that gives growth to is speculative oil and gas leasing, meaning that these companies for very little amounts of money can lock up large swaths of public lands and there's always the fear of development hanging over those leases. And then if the company somehow comes together with money to drill a well, this is where the abandoned or orphaned well issue comes into play because in many instances, the bonding requirements applied to development are too small to actually cover the costs of cleaning up the well site, to plugging and abandoning the well, to removing all the equipment, to reclaiming the well pad. And so what will happen, and which is especially true in a boom and bust market like oil and gas, is that companies will very oftentimes drill wells and then walk away from the well And the bonding isn't sufficient to cover the cleanup costs, meaning that the cleanup costs fall onto the public, the American taxpayer. And we have to pay to clean up oil and gas waste and all the accompanying pollution. So is this something that the administration can address through rulemaking and stuff like that, as opposed to having to go through Congress to get this level of reform? I mean, that seems like a pretty fundamental problem that the polluters just walk away and no wonder we have so many problems out there. No wonder it's so costly for the American taxpayer. Well, it's, it's, it's both, Dave. It was reported in several news outlets recently that the recent infrastructure and jobs bill that passed through Congress and was signed by the president included a significant amount of funding to address this problem. And so that's happening through that route. And then on the other hand, it's also something that the agency can do internally For example, they could raise the rates that accompany new oil and gas leases. They could require higher bonding amounts, meaning that, for example, currently a company could pay as little as $25,000 to bond its cleanup, even though the government acknowledges that the cleanup of a well site could be well more than a million dollars. And so there are avenues, and the Biden administration is taking a close look at its options here, and the BLM has made clear that it intends to use this as an avenue to create jobs because the oil and gas industry has the knowledge and has the employment workforce to do just this. Many of the oil and gas companies are cleaning up their wells and they're already trained to do that, but many of them are not. And so there is a workforce that's out there that can address this issue. And the Biden administration is trying to seize on that to have two similar victories at the same time with being able to keep people employed as there's a transition from a fossil fuel economy towards a more renewable economy, and then at the other time, actually get these areas cleaned up. 
Well, that's good news, Landon. Uh, it sounds like the agency, the administration has all the tools that they need to make these changes without having to go through Congress, which would, of course, just delay the problem even further. So I'm glad to hear you uh, saying that. You know, I, you also mentioned another issue there trying to reform, and that is the process of royalties, like what the companies actually pay back to the federal government as royalty for using the public's lands. How's all that going? And tell us about royalty reform. Sure. So as part of this larger comprehensive review of the oil and gas program, the BLM is taking a close look at how much operators will pay to produce fossil fuels on public lands and how much they will pay to acquire leases on public lands. These reforms are much needed because in the oil and gas context, I mentioned before, you can acquire an oil and gas lease for as little as $1.50 an acre. And that locks up public lands and commits those public lands to walk down the path towards development for as little as $1.50 an acre. And at the same time, if you do put that lease into production, you're only paying 12.5% royalty on that production. And to put that into context, the state of Utah will charge operators 18.5% to produce oil or gas from state lands in Utah, meaning that the federal government is subsidizing oil and gas development in Utah because they are charging under market rates for fossil fuels that are driving the extraction and development of which are driving the climate crisis. So Landon, I appreciate you putting light on the royalty problem, the leasing problem, and just the whole process of oil and gas leasing. But as everybody knows, we've got to get our energy from somewhere. So how does SUA see the increase in large solar arrays, wind turbines, and other renewable technologies impacting our public lands, and you know, in particular, those wild BLM lands that SUA cares so much about? That's a great question, Dave. SUA does support this push for renewable energy. We want to see more of it, and we need more of it. That said, we will monitor and keep a close eye on all proposals to make sure that BLM wild areas are left intact. And to that end, we are going to encourage the BLM and other agencies to promote and encourage renewable energy development, but to do so in a manner that respects the public lands here in Utah, in a manner that allows for development of these renewable resources in areas where it's appropriate, and it keeps it out of areas where it's not appropriate. Well, Landon, we really appreciate your time and expertise on this subject. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Wild Utah is recorded at SUA's main office in Salt Lake City on equipment purchased through the generosity of our members. SUA is primarily member-funded. Over 90% of our revenue comes directly from people who care about protecting Southern Utah's Red Rock country. We're proud of that because it keeps our voice independent. If you'd like to help protect Wild Utah today, please head to SUA.org and click the Donate button. We appreciate your support. Wild Utah's theme music, What's Worth, is composed by Moab singer-songwriter Haley Noel Austin. Our interlude music, Chuck's Guitar, is by Larry Pattis. Post-studio editing and production is by Laura Borshevsky. To stay informed about current events at SUA, visit us at SUA.org and click on Get Involved 
to discover how you can join the movement to protect Wild Utah. To receive information and alerts via text message, text the word Utah to 52886. Again, text the word Utah to the number 52886. Follow the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance on Facebook, on Instagram at Protect Wild Utah, and on Twitter at Southern UT Wild. And be sure to subscribe to the Wild Utah podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Visit sua.org forward slash podcast for additional ways to subscribe and to access our archive of previous episodes. On behalf of SUA, I'm Dave Pacheco. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope you can join us for the next episode of Wild Utah.